Hi, my name is Ian Parry and welcome to What the Future, a podcast produced by Future Leaders Mentoring. Today we're chatting with Chris Warburton in one of our expert fireside chats. This week we're discussing credit risk collections and the future. Hi, Chris. Hey, Ian, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, so interestingly, this is the, the second podcast I've recorded today. So I'm, I'm kind of flipping around on, on topics, but I'm really looking forward to getting into credit risk and, and collections in the future. And obviously um, today, as we're recording it, the the sort of the, the news is hitting around about inflation not coming down as much as it, it needed to. And, and before, before we started recording, we had a we had a good chat about vulnerable customers, and 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 hopefully we can get some of those things uh, into today's call, so that we can share some of that insight that you've got with with our listeners as we as we record today. Um, so so just jumping into things then, Chris. So you know, tell us how you got into the world of of, of credit risk and collections. Um, I suppose I I got into it. Originally, I, through accounting, I mean, I suppose I trained as an accountant, uh, okay. so I'm a numbers guy right way back. And before then, even I was, I was, a, I was, a, I was a physics uh, person as well, actually. So sort oh, of like, okay. I like the numbers and the, you know, the, how things link together. Yeah. Um, and really through that, I started looking at process reengineering. Uh, back in the days to work for, for Amex, we used to look at process reengineering in terms of like how processes interact with other, each other, how do you make them as efficient as possible, and we'd do that in lots of different markets around the world. So I used to do that in lots of different markets around the world. Um, but having done that for a few years and done that across the the collections process, either from credit adjudication through fraud authorizations and the back end collections and recovery, so anything across that credit risk risk operations type process. Um, like I said, well, look, you've done the theory, look through processes, go and do that into do that with actual real people and sort of like lead an operation. So that's so I so I, I spent some time in, in Canada basically um running an operation that did that. Um and then I spent some time in Telco and then again back in the UK, really in that sort of like large, large scale sort of operational leadership role. It's been, you know, a thousand people odd in terms of like how do you then execute that on the floor, talking with real customers, but what does it actually mean in terms of because it's different seeing the theory versus is actually what it is actually in practice um and so that's been my route into it i mean no one sort of wakes up and sort of says oh i want to get into the world of particular (laughs) collections i want to get into the world of collections no i I don't think i've met anyone who said that's what it is but once you get into it it's quite interesting in terms of like the dynamics of the system because it's such a complex system you know in in many many companies in terms of how everything interrelates um and particularly collections becomes almost like a bit of a litmus test of what's happening in the rest of the organization because often it's disputes it might be payment issues it might be uh, affordability issues it might be vulnerability issues often those sort of manifest themselves in people maybe missing payments or having fraud on their accounts and so you actually see what's going on in, in the wider organization particularly where processes aren't working and you can use that to then fix the processes so so it's been a fascinating kind of journey um, yeah. but it's sort of like it say so it wasn't something that I don't think it wasn't something that I expected I would end up doing, but it's been it's interesting nevertheless. Yes. So it, it wasn't something you shared with your careers counsellor in, no, in school no. then, was it? Okay. Yeah, I think I might have been an airline pilot or maybe a chef because <laughs> I quite like cooking or something like that. But it was uh I didn't say, oh no, I want to go into debt collection. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Understood. Um so just just kind of moving on a little bit then. So how would you how would you describe credit risk and collections to somebody that is either new to the industry or thinking about the industry and doesn't have a lot of knowledge about it? I think um, I would think of credit risk and the collections process as being 
and particularly in the financial services uh, industry, but in, in anywhere where there's a, there's a payment cycle going on, it's it's the part of the business that no one really wants to talk about, but it's kind of critical for the business to, to kind of work. So it's, you know, you might be offering services and if people don't pay you, then then you know that really affects your your cash flow um and the same in banking i mean you're lending money you're deciding how to let, who you lend money to and if they don't pay you back then you really don't have a loan product right so i think it's it's the part of the business that all really talks about but really it's around how do you manage the dynamics of that credit risk to work out that who you lend money to or who you provide services to you know what percentage of those are going to pay back versus not, or if there's a risk that they maybe won't pay you back and then you take mitigating action. And then when you get to the collections uh, angle, it's then really around what kind of actions do you then need to take to make sure they're getting the support to then either be able to eventually pay back what they owe you um, or to go into some sort of support mechanism as well. So um, I think it's, it's that really in terms of like, how do you use data really to manage the, the processes that allow you to manage the profitability of the businesses really so i mean it's critically important when people don't want to talk about it there's a lot of misconceptions around what it is yeah. um and really at the end of the day it comes around in collections it comes around supporting customers um and in the front end the credit risk it really comes around making sure you're providing the right services to the right customers based off their affordability yes uh, it's interesting you mentioned earlier um about where <laughs> You know, you can get a real sense of about what's going on in an organization if you go to a collections team, mm. because often, and and I certainly see this in energy companies and water companies, um, because that's that's kind of where my expertise is, that they deal a lot with disputes, mm. um, or people have um, withheld payment because they're unhappy with the service that they've been given or they're unhappy with the the, the bill, the statement that they've had, mm. and they've just not been able to resolve it. So they're withholding their direct debit and and then mm. that all surfaces in the collections team. So the idea of collections being out and out, picking up the phone, you know, hey Mr. Warburton, you haven't paid your bill, when are you going to pay it? Mm. That 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 yeah is is that kind of one of the the sort of the, the myths that that you sort of you, you think about when you see, see collections yeah i think i think so and we always see you know often we see uh departments particularly the collections department is almost like operating in a silo so you'd have you know you'd have collections you might have customer care you might have new accounts onboarding as a but actually the whole environment's kind of linked and it's all interlinked together. So you know, the biggest driver over your collection result is probably your acquisition, right? I, I would say, because it's right at the front end. That's the biggest, the biggest, the biggest impact you can have is changing who you acquire or who you don't. Mm. It can take time to flow through that system, but that has a big impact. You know, do you have the right numbers? Do you have the right relationship with people? Is it a sticky relationship in that when they're when they're good customers and they're and they're, you know, they're happy with the service? is incredibly important in terms of then what then goes through into the collections not because you get a dispute and it flows through so it's all this this end-to-end -end cycle everything's kind of related and what you often see at the end is is often just the consequence of everything that's kind of upstream um you know you do kind of sometimes see it as just the collections being this sort of separate shop and you know often you know i'll probably make the exactly the same comment that you made which is well you've got to look at the dispute processes upstream or the complaints processes upstream you know because those can actually often reduce the volume that's going into collections and you've got happier customers as a result as well so yes. um so it's it's you know seeing as a silo is is probably a misnomer as 
are actually being connected and embedded as an important part of the rest of the business. Mm, yes. So we've we know why you came into this part of the industry. Mm. We've learned a little bit more about it and and kind of like what's right about it, what's what's not so good about it, um, from a myth point of view. Um, imagine we're on a um, a virtual job fair now. Mm-hmm. Um, what what would you say to me? I'm I'm interested potentially into coming into credit risk and collections. What would you say to me to convince me that it was the right route, or would you would you convince me? I don't know. I I think what I find the most interesting part of it is is studying essentially a a complex system so if you like studying complex systems and understanding how um, everything interrelates um, and how an indicator over here in acquisition actually has impacts in collections and then what you can do about it if you like complex systems understanding complex systems how they interrelate uh with the rest of the business then collections is just a fantastic place a fantastic place to be and credit risk is a fantastic place to be i don't think there's there aren't many other places in the organization where you have to look at long-term impacts of a decision you make today so it's often if you're in sales for example you know i pick up the phone or i'm emailing someone i want to try and get the sale pretty much straight pretty much straight away and it's almost like i pull this lever and something comes back um in credit risk in particular you know you're taking action you know on one hand and you might not see the impact for another nine months so it does become quite complex in terms of like how you manage the risk throughout the life cycle how you understand the dynamics throughout the life cycle and that intricacy i suppose and the complexity is particularly is particularly interesting i think it's fascinating i mean it's enough to keep you a lifetime in the in in the sector because it's it's just it's, it's almost like a universe within itself to really understand that and really understand human behavior and how it interacts and interacts then back with your uh, your products as well um so i think i think it's fascinating no that's good thank you um so so thinking more practically then but for those people who are listening to this and are looking for some expert advice on 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 credit risk in in your experience what are the sort of the, the main pillars and fundamentals of a great credit risk strategy? What would you kind of say, hey, folks, you know, the four or five things you must build into a credit risk strategy to make it work? I think I mean, I think there are like four really important elements. And as I was sort of thinking about it, I think the first one is you've got to think about what data you have. So what data do you have? What data can you get access to? What data are you gathering? Because the data allows you to understand the behavior of the customers or the prospects or the potential customers that are coming through and understand how they might react. And you've got to be constantly gathering data. I think the second thing is then what you do with that data. So you know, with that data, you can then start to build segments. You can build models. You've got all these complexity of things you can do. But really, it's around what do I do with the data and what does that data mean uh, in terms of different cohorts or different groupings within that in terms of like what's what what behavior is going to happen to these customers and will the data then give me insight to that and then once i've got these segments and maybe group them into different uh types of types of cohorts or types of people um what do i then do what should my strategy do b 
be okay so this is this type of person it might this might have these particular characteristics but what's my strategy what do i need to do as a result of that to get a particular outcome and so you've got to think about your strategy and then once you've got your strategy it's great now you've got it's all about execution so so do you actually follow through on that strategy how do you measure whether that strategy has been adhered to or not and then through the execution of that strategy it then goes back to am i gathering more data and then you go right back to the start so it's really those four four elements for me at least in you know, data segmentation strategy and then execution that is almost like a, this this feedback loop that happens that allows you to get better and better and better yeah. and across all of it you've got to just decide what is a good outcome versus not right so so what is the outcome i'm trying to go towards is it reducing defaults is it you know better customer outcomes evidencing outcomes uh with the latest kind of topics for us um is it around making sure that people are getting out of debt as an example those kind of things so it's it's about sort of how do we go around that loop how do we go around that loop as fast as possible how do we get around that loop as intelligently as possible as well no that's really helpful um okay thank you so just just coming on to the, the the point where we started to chat about the, at the top of the, the podcast around the the economy and where we're at at the moment so you know what do you think is going on um with the economy and and what do you think the outlook is for the sort of the next few years for us i mean i'd say that uh i'm not an economist i think the first the first thing i'll say um uh, however you do get to see uh certainly months certain areas of you know portfolios and companies in terms of what's kind of going on i think you do we do get a, quite a good insight around what's going on today um i do think that you know a lot of what we're seeing now is probably a consequence of the fact we've had very low interest rate environments for the for the longest time i think people have borrowed quite a lot of money um you know you see that in house prices inflation except uh, house price inflation is an example um you know, for a variety of reasons, that's sort of reversed. And I think we're seeing, you know, we're seeing, you know, shocks from energy price increases that we talked about before as a result of, um, you know, what's been going on sort of like globally with conflict going on and globally. Um, now we're starting to see uh, interest rates going on. And I think all of that's putting a lot of pressure on consumers, which is, you know, could talk about cost of living. I think it's also interest rates as well. You know, all of a sudden that low interest rate rate environment is kind of like stopping um, and costs are starting to go up so i think i think actually the, the economy's struggling um i think it's we probably feel like we haven't really felt it as much maybe as we might be feeling it in the future um there's a lot of talk online around you know is it repeat of the 1920s the 2020s um i, I think there's there's potential for that in terms of like depending on what the the macro uh, economic sort of responses from governments but i think it's i think there's probably more to come in terms of like further tightening of belts that are going to be needed and sort of like stress that's going to become the consumer because you know we expect things to happen instantly in the social media world and sometimes these things take time to flow through and i think there's just so many almost like negative um or um you know tough 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 changes that are out there that still need to flow through the pipe and i think we're just seeing going to see a contraction probably in the economies at least at least in at least in the western world at least anyway no that's that's i'm, I'm sorry that's not very optimistic yeah it's uh, but but i think you know our role is like how do we then anticipate that yeah. and then can we put support mechanisms in place to make it then easier for consumers and for businesses as well yes and, and i guess that um support mechanism um i've certainly seen how that's changed fundamentally over the last 10 years whereas i guess 
10 years ago, going through something like this, the question from the CFO or the CEO would be, how can we get into people's pockets to collect from them as mm-hmm. early as possible? Whereas now the messaging is quite different and it's how can we help people um, rather than setting up recurring credit card um, sort of collections from people and being the first ones to take money out of people off from their payday, working out when their payday is and, and, and all of those practices that sort of, you know, from 2000 onwards uh, were pretty, pretty sort of um, run of the mill, I guess. And it's, it's, Seems seems to be quite different now. I don't know whether that's a, a fair statement from your observations, Chris. I mean, I think the whole thing has kind of changed. I mean, I sort of left the UK when it was very much that environment. Um, you know, I went out to, to Canada and I sort of came back when after TCF had been launched and sort of like it. And we were chatting about that earlier. And I mean, it's a night night and day difference in terms of the collections environment. In terms of you know, on the front foot rather than you know, yeah. Good morning, Mr. Parry. Have you made your payment today to sort of like asking, like, how are you? And then actually saying, well, what do you actually need and how can I actually support you? Um, and, and now you see, you know, collections processes that have higher NPS scores than earlier in the process. Um, it's really, really based around support. And what I found so interesting is how by being nice to customers who are in their time of need, you get better customer satisfaction, but you also move up the payment hierarchy as well. So you actually, there's more there's more loyalty to the organizations as a result of doing that. So it's great from a business point of view. It's great from a brand point of view. It's been not detrimental from a collections point of view. And guess what? From an employee point of view, you know, collections employees are going in feeling way more satisfied than they ever have done because because now they're actually helping customers in their time of need rather than just you know transactionally asking for payments as an example so i think it's it's been it's been a huge change um i think it will continue but i do think just like we're chatting up right at the top is that i think there's a business benefit for us as well and i think if you can draw the lines although there's a leap of faith to do it it really has a had a benefit in terms of customer loyalty and consumer loyalty as well which i think has been fascinating yeah absolutely i mean it, and it, but it, it all stacks up doesn't it when you when you when, when you sort of count all those things up and you say well you know if we if we're looking to help people when they're struggling then they're going to remember us and they're going to be loyal with us and they're going to pay us back and it mm. i don't do, do you um do you remember the bank of dave a number of years ago the, the, the film well, the, the the film, the 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 chap that went into business right. offer loans, um, and and I, the the story goes that he had a hundred percent repayment rate on on every mm. single loan that he offered, mm. because of the relationships and because of the way he helped people, mm. and people just felt, you know, that the relationship was so strong between him and them that mm. they could possibly not pay him back. Mm. Now, it's a bit difficult to create that that environment in in a normal larger business but i guess it, that's the that's the principle isn't it that the relationship if it's strong enough with the brand and the individual and they feel that they've been helped then it's just a no-brainer that there's going to be a better a better payment rate isn't it i mean if, if you take a step back though uh, i mean i could argue that maybe the whole thing is just one giant circle i mean we know that history is a big circle so you know we started off with the bank manager who used to know personally and you go and you make the loan and you know you might be the bank manager we might know each other would you know it'd be exactly as you just described and then we've gone through sort of like mass market market um 
uh, rollout, we've gone through uh, commoditization. And then are we almost like getting back through this massive journey we've been through over the last sort of like 50, 60 years, going back to that, which is almost like individualization of loans. You know, how do I know you better? How do I build relationships with you? Even around how do I add people that I'm saving in the back end to then put onto the front end in terms of service? So I actually almost like it becomes almost like a relationship, right? In terms of like, mm. you know, I know you that you're going to be a good risk or, you know, I'm going to look after your best interest to do that. And I just wonder if it's actually this big arc that's actually going on as well as the smaller arcs that we yeah. all sort of live every day. Right. So yeah, um, it's almost like an old concept that's coming back into favor, which is personalization and good relationships make for make for good business. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I yeah. think there's something in that for sure. And that that leads me on to my next question, which is, you know, the the future of this industry. You know, where where does the where's the next arc? Where's the next horizon for for, for credit risk and collections? Where do you where do you see it going? I mean you're not going to you're not going to be surprised about what i say which is I, I think it's going to be more data i mean just like the the changes that we've seen in terms of data and data gathering and the ability to be able to interpret and analyze that data have just been astounding in the last year let alone the last 5 years let alone the last 10 years i mean it's just been it's just incredible what can be done um i think we're still only scratching the surface in terms of utilizing the data understanding the data gathering more data how we interact with it and I think the data, I think the data is going to continue to change the the industry going forward. And I think what it's going to lead to, privacy uh, concerns aside, um, you know, guardrails aside, which which we need to have. But what it'll lead to is basically more sort of almost like hyper personalization or personalization, where it becomes almost like how do we replicate that bank manager relationship yeah. down to almost like an individual level based off the data that we actually have and making sure that's done for the benefit of the the consumer. So, you know, I, I might have a very different loan agreement to the loan agreement you have, even though at a top level, we might see the same. But I think the ability to be able to manage that almost like down to a micro segment level, I think we'll, we'll sort of like, we'll start to see coming through. Um, yeah. And it means we've got more tailored products for us. Um, you know, just like we might have more tailored healthcare, as an example, we're going to have more tailored financial products for us, which I think is going to make a big difference. And it's much more efficient from our point of view and probably better products for us as well. So I think that's that's what's going to change. But it's going to be driven by data and it's going to be driven by analytics and the ease of being able to do those analytics. I think, you know, with AI and some of the things that are coming through, I think it's, you know, we need the tools to be able to analyze the greater volume of data. I think those are coming along, too. So it's all going to lead to basically more personalized, tailored kind of products essentially yeah I, I absolutely agree with that and i think the the introduction of non-traditional data sets mm-hmm. um is becoming more and more interesting so the, the obviously there's a the, the the use of query reference agency data it's mm-hmm. that's a given that's a yeah thanks very much but the now the yeah. open banking information that's coming through um and some of the vulnerability data, and, and and again, I guess for me, I wonder um, whether in in certain instances, whether the regulation around data sharing, certainly amongst businesses and industries and government, where the where the where there's a clear uh, a clear intent and a clear rationale for this will help this consumer. Um, it's not to be used to collect money. It's not to be used for sales and marketing. Very much like the you know the changes to sort of third party data uh, a number of years ago. 
we're we're, we're putting some plans in place um, to do that. I wonder whether you whether you think regulation will be loosened in in those sorts of areas. I I don't know. I mean, that becomes a question of politics as well, doesn't it? And sort of media in terms of like, you know, whether that's whether that's acceptable from a privacy point of view versus not. I think I think I mean. I think, from my point of view, obviously, it makes sense to share some of that information, particularly when it's not used from a, a, a collections point of view. Um, I could think I could see it happening in in some cases. For example, vulnerability is an example. Maybe some of the INE stuff might do that. But I think it becomes a political question around how much more do people want the state to take more control over that, or sort of. And I think I think those things sort of come up. So I think it's possible. I think it would be a big advantage from 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 an industry point of view. It'd be it'd be massive. Um, I mean, I, I would present maybe. Another way of doing it might be I'm quite interested in, for example, in blockchain that's like and crypto that's completely disappeared from the news at the moment. Yes. But one of the things that is interesting with those kind of technologies is it gives you providence over the data or you might be able to own the data, as an example. So so will we see other techniques like that where data becomes transportable in an encrypted format that maybe the consumers in control? So there's other ways of doing it. Sharing the data makes it makes a huge difference. Um, and I think it'd be a, a big benefit. Um, the other thing I was just I was thinking as you were talking there, you talked to it about open banking, you talked to it about uh, Cray data as an example. Looking at big picture stuff and that, that big sort of like feedback loop is what is a telephone call with an agent other than you know a data gathering mechanism, right? And how do we capture the data that's actually on every single interaction that we have with consumers, right? I know we're doing it through text, but if you think about it all comes down to data. If I'm talking to you uh, in a collections call, you're actually giving me information when we're talking. So you're saying, "Oh, I, you know, I've, I've just come back from holiday," or you know, it, you might even the tone of your voice is giving information that is useful, and it might be indicative of vulnerability. It might be indicative of financial stress. It might be indicative of you know what I can afford versus I can't, and what's going on in my life. We're data gathering machines as humans, and I think you know we need to include that data within the mechanism as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think, you know, it's all about it's all about data and you've got voice data, and, but then you also got visual data. I mean, so we're looking at each other on video at the moment. You can see, you know, what I've got behind me, what the room looks like. That gives data as well. So, like, we're still really only scratching the surface of data and what that means. But it gives and it gives you an impression of me, but it also gives you an impression around what my environment's like, around vulnerability and support that's needed. So I think I think it's it's broader than just the data we have today. I think there's a whole world of data we haven't even started to scratch the surface on yet as well that that is valuable as well um, in terms of like you know making decisions or making credit risk decisions or providing support. Yeah. Yes. So the, the way you're talking, then, could you see a time when speech analytics data is included in collection strategies hi absolutely yeah i think i think i could yeah i think you could i think you could see it in terms of even even visual data that's been included in collection strategies what does it mean and can you interpret the information that's coming through that says something and can you codify it in a way that you can then use to uh, to then use make make decisions yeah. um i think there are private big privacy questions around that yeah. uh, i think you'd have to you'd have to address um you know and i think you have to make sure the data is being used for the right purposes i think mm -hmm. that's the other i mean these are these are big again government questions that we're gonna have and regulation questions you know, but there's there's nothing stopping you doing that and in fact i think it probably give you better outcomes if you'd use it in a benevolent kind of fashion mm. yeah no absolutely wow
it's what humans do it's what we do right mm -hmm. and all we're doing is replacing what we do with with kind of machine doing that for us and yeah. that does that make it our processes more efficient that allows us to then maybe spend time gathering some of the information the human information through human interaction and yeah. providing support so it's the it's the new bank manager but supported by a load of data but and i'm providing almost like the you know you know i'm providing the interpersonal support you know backed by the data rather than me doing everything yes yes and kind of like the the data is sat behind the advisor yeah. Tapping them on the shoulder or whispering in the in the ear from time to time with a little bit of insight. Yeah. I mean the analogy I really like is is flying a plane. Um, you know, and you know, if you look at a modern airline pilot, um you, you know, I for my sins I spend a bit of time on flight simulators, so I apologize. But um <laughs> uh, you know, like a lot of the time you don't fly the plane, a lot of the time you, you actually spend the time with uh with the you know the autopilot actually doing that um and if you're actually to fly every single system in the plane it'd be incredibly complex that's why they used to have three or four people in the cockpit at any time now you can manage with two people for safety reasons you could even fly it with one person right so but for two people for safety reasons but all of the systems become support mechanisms to allow the pilot to do the bit that they do well which mm -hmm. is making those human decisions right so um and even even just today they were talking about how do they extend autopilot I think airbus were around how they do that but it's around how do we use the computing technology and the systems around us to augment essentially our own capabilities and doing what humans do best which is interacting with other humans really and i think we're terrifically social animals and that's the piece that we do well and the rest of the system then allows us and provides the support for us to do that even better right wow okay which is looking exciting isn't it <laughs> it is i mean there's you know there's, there's there's issues around doing that but i think there's there's, there's huge opportunities to do it if i'm if i'm, if I'm being optimistic it's um yeah. there's this huge opportunity to become to become better and free up time for us to do other things that we really enjoy doing right as well yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so we've we've reached the end of the the podcast, Chris. So we've we've covered a, a lot there, a load of insight to be shared. You know, we've kind of gone through the journey of your, you know, physics, accounting, you know, into that sort of uh, you know, the Amex world of solving stuff, all the way through to kind of you know what the economy is saying at the moment, where you think future data is going to come from. Now I. Uh, you know, I, I thought I was pretty much, you know, on the on an understanding where future data could come from. But that the, the idea of including speech analytics and that sort of data um, in a uniformed, codified strategy, that that kind of started to blow my mind a little bit. So mm. I think people listening to today's um, uh, podcast, I, I, I think they'll take a lot from what this industry can do what you can contribute into this industry, why it's a great industry to be part of, but also where this industry is going and, and how it can um, how it can become even more exciting, actually. So thank you very much for sharing your insight today and your um, your experience. That was really good. Thank you very much. Oh, you're quite welcome, Ian. It's great to chat to you. So uh, I, I love this stuff. So it's, uh, so it's, 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 it's always fun. Yeah, that's clear. Absolutely clear. Um, so, as always, thank you for choosing to listen to What the Future. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please hit the subscribe button and tell others about us. And finally, um, we know that mentoring is a hugely valuable step on the leadership journey, and we're here to help. If you feel the same way, then please get involved. 
at the join us button on our webpage, which is www.futureleadersmentoring.com and follow us on LinkedIn to jump in on discussions like this. So for now, goodbye and we'll speak again soon.